and happy Friday. Welcome to another Dan Assel Show live, Friday the 7th of May. Thank you everyone that's tuning in live and also listening and watching on demand. We've got quite a few people already tuning in, so that must be for my guests in the studio. Obviously people have had enough of watching me. Having said that, I actually haven't done a show for 10 days. So just when you thought it was safe to go back on LinkedIn, that's not the case. Here I am. And I've got some other great shows coming up. We're going to talk about New beginnings, all the same old story, uh, with reference to the events and exhibition industry over the next 45 minutes. Um, and then next Wednesday, 12th of May at one o'clock, um, I've got Donna Shaw Benacor uh, from Rego and Luke Bilton from Expo Platform, who are going to talk to me about their recent partnership and generally all things virtual events. Special thanks, as always, to my community patrons, SISO, Rerizny, Smart Digital, Easy Fairs, 19 Group, Hive Group and Tarsus. And as ever, if you want to contact me regarding any of the services I provide or sponsorship of the programs, go to danassor.com and the Contact Us page. So without further ado, we're going to go on to today's program, which, as I said, is labelled New Beginnings. And I've got three industry stalwarts, I'm going to call them, in the studio. And I'm going to introduce the first one now, Justin Craig. Hello, Justin. Hi, yeah. Justin is the joint MD of Live Buzz Group. And then next up, we have Tim Else. Hello, Tim. Hi, Hi Dan. Thank you for having me. No problem. Tim, uh, former owner of Western um, Business Media and now, obviously, um, a new venture, What Else Events Limited. And last but definitely not least, Martin Kens, who has got the Elton Job background, the nice grand piano which is fantastic. Maybe you can give us a little tinkle on the ivories later. Martin has obviously been a board director of Esther for many years and has also recently set up Beachwood events, which we're going to hear about. So thank you, guys. I think between us, we've probably got 200 years of life experience. <laughs> I'm not going to say I'm not going to say he's going to sort of above or below average, but um, and obviously a lot of those within the events and exhibition space. We're going to get straight into it. New beginnings. Um, and Tim, I'm going to come to you first. You've had a couple of new beginnings in the last two or three years. Because obviously, you um, sold Western Business Media, and obviously, no, that's not quite true, Dan. It's oh, Western Business Exhibitions. Sorry, Western Business Western Exhibitions, Business Exhibitions. Western, yeah. built yeah. and sold in 2018. That's right. Yeah, thank yeah. you for correcting me. Um, and then, obviously, recently, you set up your your new venture. So. Um, it would be good to sort of understand why you think this is a great time. And I'm going to come to Justin and Martin as well for anyone to set up, not necessarily just a, a new event, but a business in general. Okay. Well, look, yeah, you're quite right. 20 years with Western business exhibitions. It's a B2B publisher, then a B2B trade shows organizer, uh, amazing team of people. We built 40 staff, 4 million turnover, and we built that business. Uh, gradually, carefully, um, we had a lot of luck, and no small part of that luck was in our acquisition by the 19 Group, backed by Phoenix Private Equity back in 2018. And then, um, and I am probably one of the luckiest people I know, um, I then spent a thoroughly enjoyable year supporting the launch of 19 Group and focusing on integrating my team from Western into the 19 Group right at the beginning. Challenging enjoyable loved it actually and you know i consider myself rather fortunate in that um, i haven't perhaps had to work my way through or lead a team manage a team through the nightmare that has been the pandemic um so um, what comes next though is truly exciting i'm literally just announcing the launch of 
What sure. Else events. We've got a few shows lined up for launch. The first one of those will be announced in a couple of weeks' time. And thank you for that. And, and Justin, um, coming to you, I mean, obviously every business um, over the last 12 months has to, had to adapt to survive and maybe come up with new service offerings. Why do you think it's a good opportunity now, you know, over the next however, however long, you know, looks like we're, we're almost through the tunnel, never mind the light at the end of the tunnel. Why do you think it's a good opportunity for people to, to start new ventures? Well, yeah, from, from the event organiser perspective, um, speaking to a lot of new clients, um, new, new entrepreneurial guys that have spun out of larger organisations who have been, been let go for, you know, for good reason in the downturn and thought, you know what, we know what we're doing. We've got the experience. We've got a good team. Let's give it a go ourselves. So there's been a great opportunity for energised ex-employees who have business ideas, event ideas. And so it's a great opportunity to take them to market. So I've got five new clients, five new shows that didn't from organisations that didn't exist before. So that's exciting. Um, I think they will benefit from the talent pool that's out there. And I think they'll also benefit from the um, you know, absolute desire that will be there when live events come back. I think visitor numbers, attendee numbers, personally, I think will be through the roof. Sure. So I think it's a win-win. It's a win-win. And um, with the technology that exists now, it's never been easier to create new events. You know, the, the platforms are there, the software's there, the expertise are there. So you can scale up much quicker than I think you could five, ten years ago. Sure. And it almost if you don't have the legacy and you're building something from scratch, you know, if you're trying to, like anything, in any in any world order, if you're trying to steer a you know a big ship, it's always difficult to turn it in a different direction. So it's a good opportunity for for different businesses, not just launching events. But Martin, coming to you, obviously you've recently set up launched Beachwood events. Um, yes. Why now? Um, good question, Dan. Yeah, one would say you know in a barren landscape in a in a market that's hit the yeah. hit the wall and stopped. Why would you set up a new venture? But <laughs> no, I think I think our industry and my certain professional career. It was a fantastic time when everything's pressed pause. I've also likened our industry to a bit of a frenetic roller coaster. And yeah. um, although you might see opportunities along the way, things that you want to change, things you want to introduce, new ideas, innovations, it's difficult to implement them sometimes. And we do yeah. run at a very fast pace, as we all know. And I think we're also quite uh, we're quite guilty of relying on what we did previously. What did we do last year? We're quite habitual creatures of comfort. We, we you know sometimes we just like to stay within that comfort zone and run and organise on a show or stage an event or do something the way we've always done it. I'm not against it. If they're tried and tested methods and they work, great to do it. But I do think sometimes when you have the opportunity and you can step back and you can actually look at it a little bit plainly, and it took me about two weeks, I think, after we got locked down, I thought this is a really good opportunity to press a bit of a reset button in all kinds of ways, professionally, personally, and as an industry. So, yeah, it was at that point I thought I'll step away from what I've done for 30 years, do the same thing, but probably try and put a different slant on it and concentrate yeah. on some different areas and try and pull pull the good threads out of each individual faction of supply and servicing floor problems that I've done in the past and try and implement them to a new company, Beachwood Event Flooring. So um, yeah. good time is only to do it, I think. And I think a lot of the industry players now are, are doing the same thing. I, I feel that fresh wave, hence the title of today's, obviously, yeah. session, loop beginnings. I think yeah. that's where it all comes from. Yeah, and it's interesting because also age is no barrier, right? Look, I'm 47. I've, I've set this up. Necessity is the mother of invention. And, you know, uh, younger people might think, well, once I get to a certain age, I can't, I can't, you know, reinvent myself or do something different. So, you know, th this, 
this period has allowed people to stop and actually think about their passions and bring yeah. it to life under their under the, I guess an owner managed business. Um, Tim, obviously you've got experience of M and A, and I'm just going to touch upon something quickly. I'm interested in your view. I've been reading some reports recently, um, and only this morning actually, some people suggesting that M and A is going to be is going to fuel the revival, depending on how you you know uh, define revival within the trade show and exhibition space. Do you sort of would you agree with that? Well, let's be clear: there will be people in the industry more knowledgeable than I here, Dan. But you've asked for my view. Yeah. Um, I think this is a golden age of launch. I yeah. absolutely do. I think the major organisers have probably got launches lined up left, right and centre, things they want to give life to and good luck to them. You know, um, a lot of people really focused on delivering delayed events. Of course they are. Um, M&A is difficult. You know, the major players have probably lost quite a large percentage of the team, the people, the resource they had in M&A. Yeah. But I've got no doubt. So personal view, no doubt that the investors, you know, whether it's private equity, whether it's uh, the big PLCs, They'll come back to this pretty quick. And and your insight may be better than mine. Maybe it's faster than I think. Sure. But you know, there's going to be some fabulous new launches, some great stuff in the next two or three years that's going to be something you want to pick up. Um, whether there are the distressed purchases that everybody's been expecting, I think in the next few months we'll find out. I dare say the extension to furlough to the end of September is it end of September, you know, yeah. that sort of delaying perhaps that in terms of who's gonna have to let go. Um but I imagine the pipeline's amazing. Uh, but, you know, the opportunities here could be incredible. So no doubt, you know, trade the trade show business is, is absolutely one that will come back, come back strong. And those that invest and those that want to pick up, you know, I don't think you pick up a bargain at the moment. I think you want to buy shows that were strong before the pandemic. Sure. But they'll be the ones that survive. They'll be the ones that come back strong. And, and perhaps those that had perhaps a slightly weaker mandate sadly won't. But yeah. You know, there are some very, very smart people out there watching, looking, and I, I should imagine the the, you know, the the acquisition pipelines are looking really interesting. I'm fascinated to see it. So it, you say, you know, my experience of M&A is, is small, um, enjoyable, um, and, and the Phoenix were, were amazing for 19 Group. I know, I know that. Um, sure. And for me. But, um, but yeah, I, I think you're probably right. I don't have the evidence for that. Um, but um, whatever happens, um, that acquisitive cycle will be back. Sure. It will be back bullish. And so should it be because there's great value in trade shows. Yeah, well, I think, thank you. And I think also it'll be dependent on region as well, right? So that you'll see different movements in, across the world. Um, Justin, I want to come to you next because we're, we're going to talk about other new beginnings. So we spoke about, you know, opportunities for people to launch new businesses, launch new shows. Um Talk to me about event formats, because we've all, you know, there's so much conjecture going on around virtual, hybrid, what hybrid even means, fusion and physical and what's going to happen. And obviously people have got different vested interests in terms of, you know, their, their opinions. What's, what's your view? What do you think exhibitors sort of want right now from a, from an event? And I, I know you don't just deal with trade shows and exhibitions, so feel free to, to sort of, you know, bring other events in, into, into view as well. Yeah, I think I think you know, as we all know, every event is different. So every 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 and every organizer is different, and then every event exhibitors and the, and the audience will want different things. And you've got your domestic events, and you've got your multi multinational events. I think I think um, hybrid. There hasn't been a hybrid trade event yet. Um, there will be shortly when complex happens. But um, 
Yeah, I think for, for, for multinational in the short term events, I think the hybrid kind of concept would be really useful because those exhibitors and those businesses that can't get get physically to the event, um, be able to get more convergence on that, get, get, get them to participate in the event, so organisers can generate revenue in that way. However, I, I do believe once the world becomes uh, more COVID secure, um, the, the lure of the virtual and particularly hybrid, the value of it will diminish. Yeah. But at the moment, there's a great opportunity to increase conversion by combining hybrid attendees with the physical attendees. It's about getting the balance right and not making virtuals, um, the hybrid elements so attractive that people don't actually want to come to the physical event. Sure. But I think, you know, personally, I'm very biased and I'm, I'm not, and I'm a pro technologist, but I do think there's been a lot of noise um, put out there to, to bolster the opinion of, of a virtual and hybrid because so much money has been invested into it. And I think that will soon dissipate. I think there will be, yeah, the hybrid bit will be there, but physical will um, take over quicker than we all expect. Um, yeah, and I, th I think you're right. I think it also depends on the type of type of event, right? I see, okay, a lot of people I speak to more within the meeting and conferences industry, so corporate events. Um, I, I think a lot of the big virtual tech platforms are, are positioning their 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 you know their services towards that sector as well as much as exhibitions. Um, Martin, do you have a view? I mean, with regards to your hat on for Essa specifically, I guess obviously you're you're probably privy to conversations around you know, virtual and some of the suppliers that you work with. What What's your what's your own personal view about how the industry is going to come back? Obviously, we went for nine months doing lots and lots and lots of virtual stuff, and now everyone's very excited about getting back to physical. Do you think it's going to keep you know, swing back completely one way or sort of end up in the middle of something? No, I think it will. I think the pendulum will swing back largely to, to the physical side. I think we're, we're physical creatures. We're touchy-feely. We, we, we like to have that. That element. I, there's going to be a legacy left of where we've where we've came as not just as an industry for us in events and exhibitions, but I think companies all over the world as a whole will trade differently as we go as we go on after the pandemic's slowed down and became more under control. And that that legacy is going to live on. And I think there are benefits to take from it. I mean, again, it comes from the new beginnings title. Yeah. The physical side for an event is definitely going to be there, and that's going to be the predominant playing factor. People want to touch and feel a product, smell a product, whatever it might be. They want to want to deal with a human being and interact that way. Whilst the technology side to actually have a hybrid is going to have its benefits, there's no two ways about it. It's going to bring out certain benefits leading up to an event. There's going to be opportunities for the way an organiser can actually stage that, gather their audience, engage the exhibitors and the visitors, and generate that whole feeling of being part of something. I think we've learned a lot of good, good lessons from this, um, this this period where we've been forced into technology. The amount sure. of Zoom and Zoom meetings that are going on, they're, they're here to stay. We're going to carry on doing those, and I think that's going to be evident on the on the show floor. Ultimately, being on a show floor, and it's not just about the trading part. I mean, trade shows, as you know, it's massive. We're expecting the boom of the economy. And I think our event shows, our trade shows, are going to be a very big part to play in that. Um, but our exhibitors and the exhibitors I always see on trade shows, they love getting together, together as a community. Whatever it is that that show is, whatever that product is that they're combinationally promoting and doing, they are their own industry. And when they get together, it's like just getting together for conflicts or an event like that. We like being around our peers and our colleagues from different companies, our competitors. These guys and girls are exactly the same. And, and that's a massive part of why people just push and push that trade show and vibe going out there. So I do see that pendulum swing right back down to the physical side, but taking yeah. the benefits of what technology is going to give us through a hybrid event. Thank you. And 
Tim, I, I think you've got quite strong opinions on this, or and, and it's interesting actually. You know, you're, you're launching two events, right? Which I'm not going to focus on the actual event, but clearly you would have done a lot of discovery work with potential exhibitors who are going to attend those events. You know, during yep. probably during the last six to nine months. What's your view, and what are they telling you in terms of you know virtual? Well, physical? look, you know, what else events is so new? My research is only a few months old, actually. Yeah. But you're right. You know, yeah. I, I spent a lot of time talking to people and really being very careful about what I do next, thinking it through really carefully. You know, if you do your, when you launch trade shows, if, if, you, if you do the intellectual bit right, if you do your research right, that's key. Without that, you're nowhere. Yeah. But if you've got a market opportunity and then you're prepared to work harder than anybody else, the rest, you know, it's just luck. Um, that's all it is. Um, and that's not my quote. Um, that's somebody <laughs> far bolder than me and far more experienced than me, but it's all about serendipity, being in the right place at the right time. Um, but how do I feel about hybrid and virtual? The first thing I want to say on that is the speed at which the tech event tech world re have responded and the innovation when you know to, to pour money in and pour resource in to provide platforms some of which have been fantastic platforms you know there is simply no replacement for being together in person that's a very hard i'm very clear on that you know we are human beings we haven't evolved during the last two years in any meaningful way we haven't changed we have the same needs and we want to interact and we want to be engaged with our fellow human being. While we haven't been able to though, how lucky are we as organizers that you know the, the supply chain and the providers, the tech providers have been able to innovate and move so fast and provide platforms that are, you know, they're not the same. I've seen awards dues recently, they're brilliant, brilliant. They're not the same as being there on the night. Of course they're not, they never will be. And I don't think they have a long-term future, but in the meantime, how fortunate have we been to have those platforms, you know, delivered on a plate. Brilliant. Um, so, but that's that, that gets us on perhaps to a conversation we're going to have a bit later about, you know, how strongly I feel about about the supply chain and how it's nurturing yeah. because the response, the innovation has been amazing. So look, yes, I do think, final point on this for me, um, of course, we must hang on to some of this hybrid virtual content. I come from a P2B publishing background. I've always believed in constant connection with audience build your relationships it's not just about those three days when you're going to run your show i've always believed that so for me it doesn't change that um and you know great quality content constantly delivered you know good quality opinions you know let's talk to our audience all the time so that doesn't change but let's hang on to some of the best examples of virtual and hybrid and i think i think we're going to see this autumn i think we're going to see some really fine examples of people bolting that in to their traditional trade show and more power to them good luck to them so it will definitely form uh you know virtual hybrid will definitely form a part of the events that you're going to be launching uh, it's not a major component dan i've got to no. be honest i'm very very focused i'm absolutely on board with the idea that events are going to come back i think they're going to come back gradually i i listen i'm, I'm an optimist but i'm a realist and sure. i think that's really important to keep a balance I have a foot in both camps. So I, I, I perhaps don't subscribe to the overnight bounce back, large scale recovery in five minutes. I, I don't think that's right. And I don't think that's right because it comes down to individual choice, your willingness as a person to get back and interact with thousands of other people in a small space. You know, it, it will depend who you are, what sure. your family background is, what, who, what type of person you are and how risk averse you are. But my message to you is to my visitors, to visitors for shows this autumn is, is, is clear. 
you know, you'll have been vaccinated. You should be confident. You can be very confident that if you're going to a major trade show in the autumn, that you will be well looked after and people will be, um, you know, um, responding to government guidelines in a very mature fashion. But I think it's going to take, personal opinion, a few years for that, you know, for sure. us to get back to where where we were before. That's personal opinion. Okay. Thank you. We're going to go on and talk about the supply chain. Uh, Justin, coming to you. Uh, and again, this is titled New Beginnings. What hope have you got that certain ways that I don't know, industry uh, relationships uh, evolved, like maybe over the last 10 or 15 years, and some of which, you know, might not be best practice? Are you confident that that's going to change going forward? And feel free to pick some examples in your area. Yeah. Um, I think, I, I think, um, there'd be a renewed awareness. It, it was probably there, but a kind of strengthened awareness of how critical we all are to each other's success and business and how this, this, this talk of partnership um, is, you know, as we've been said, but a lot of people play lip service to it, but, you know, without every part of the, um, of the chain, the supply chain, an event won't happen. And despite all the kind of strong, marketing spiel and, and, and publicity that's put out over the air. I have been slightly disappointed with that in some regards, actually. I do feel that the supply chain, you know, there's been a lot of emotional support for each other, but yeah. the, the sad reality of business and, and of commerce, and it's never really going to change, is cash is king. Sure. And if the money isn't there, you can't take care of each other. But I do think moving forward, the understanding of our interdependencies, making sure we've got each other's backs covered, that we understand what, you know, people... I think people value what their suppliers do more. They understand resources they put behind their teams to do what they do. It doesn't just magically happen. I think there'd be more awareness around that. So I think, yeah, if anything, relationships would be tighter. Um, sure. Okay, thank you. And Martin, um, obviously, again, with, well, I guess you're now business hat on and also from ESSA. Let me ask you, let me just phrase the question slightly differently. What do you think were the sort of key issues, put the pandemic aside, right? What do you think were the key issues with regards to the relationship between organisers and suppliers, even before the pandemic struck? Uh, juicy one. Um, <laughs> <Okay. yeah. laughs> but I, I, you know, inadvertently, there's always been uh, there's always been that relationship there of, I suppose, the, the big crucial factors have been time, time given to do a job that needs to be done, and within that budget. So time and budget, which is the constraints for a lot of the contractors, certainly the SA members that I'm talking about. So this is my SA hat on. So, you know, prior yeah. COVID, before we actually knew the pandemic was coming, um, a big part of the steering that I was involved in when I was chair of ESSA was looking at that and trying to see how can we how can we best facilitate that relationship between the supplier and the organiser to do the job better. Um, it's not necessarily just about elongating building break times. I mean, we've, we've been around this merry-go-round many times. We know that that's just not financially possible to do. You know, the venues have got a certain finite amount of space. There's only a certain number of venues in the country, and there's a lot of business to be done. So we know that we've got a constrained problem. And I do think suppliers generally have been very, um, uh, very initiative, uh, very innovative, sorry, in how they've actually streamlined their efficiencies to try and do the job better, quicker, smarter, cheaper, and try and fit within those timeframes. But I do feel, and I'm talking now from a floor cover point of view, where my, my history background is, we got to the point, or I thought we got to the point, where there's nowhere else to go. We're at the end of that envelope, there's nowhere else we can actually push our efficiencies to further yeah. enhance what we're doing. So the relationship between the supplier and the organiser 
I felt had become a little bit conflicted, probably becoming more and more constrained as we gallop towards COVID, which is why I think we should be using, and I'm sure we are, uh, I think we are uh, using this period of downtime to strengthen those relationships and realise the value of, that we both see in each other. So I think the organisers have got more realistic view of what it is that we need as contributors to do the job that makes their shows look better. And we understand what it is that the uh, the organisers are actually battling with. What are, their, what are their challenges? What is it that they're trying to do? I, th I think we were going down the line where there seemed to be a divide and it, it was growing and growing, in my opinion, in a lot of, lot of companies I was dealing with and speaking with. Seems to be a divide of two camps. You know, it's like the organizer over here and the venue's yeah. playing a part in the third camp. Um, I think communication. What, oh, sorry, sorry to cut across you. With that in mind, obviously everyone would agree, yep, we want better relationships. We're talking about new beginnings in the future. Are you confident that they're gonna that's gonna that change is gonna is gonna happen? How's that gonna be facilitated? Yeah. I am. And, and apologies, Dan, because you said, you know, COVID aside, but COVID for yeah. me has been the fantastic catalyst here. COVID has forced us to look at things, and I hear these words come out of, like, micro-scheduling. So, you know, we're actually sitting down around a table actually thinking about how are we going to do this? How are we going to actually build this show with COVID in mind? It's made the organiser and supply work as a team. And so, look, how can we actually put this event back on? We've, have, we've all had our revenue streams cut, completely severed. And um, we want to get back to work. We want to get back to doing what we're doing. And we've got opportunities to make it better. We've got to make it work for the eventual client. That's the exhibitor and the visitor. We've got to make it work for those two guys coming to our shows. So we're on the same team. We're on the same side. We've both got the same goals and aspirations. We want our shows to be successful. We want them to be successfully attended. So how can we work there? So there has been an alliance, an alliance of the two the two sides. We've both got a massive buy-in to each other's um, okay. each other's success. is a mutual success. So, uh, yeah, I think that there is now more of a kindredship between the two sides. Fantastic. So we'll, let, let's see how that develops. Um, yeah. Tim, with regards to the supply chain, but specifically on teams, um, give us your view, uh, please, with regards to sort of how we see that relationship between, um, I guess, employer and employee and, and, and other teams you know, within the supply chain. Yeah, OK. Well, look, there's nobody in the world of live events that hasn't felt the pain of the last year and this year. Of course, we know that. But the supply chain, I think, have felt it as, you know, worse than anybody else. You're, you're talking about a lot of smaller organisations, talking about some fantastic experience and expertise, some of which will be lost for the moment. And, and that's the sad reality. So I feel quite strongly about this. And we discussed this before the show, you know, um, over my time, you know, managing and directing Western business exhibitions. We were a small company, we were less than 40 people, and we outsourced operations at times, we outsourced marketing. Um, and we we built really strong relationships with those suppliers um, and with that supply chain. And the advantages of that are myriad, it goes on and on. So this time, you know, with a new business, I'm choosing to go down that road. Sure. You know, I've built a team, you know, Martin is playing his part in that, Live Buzz and Justin, you know, no-brainer there for me to choose Life Buzz. Um, but and I'll and unashamedly, you know, name check a few people because you know I've worked with op squads before, outsource operations, that just provides you with peace of mind. Yeah. The expertise, you know, the, the job is going to be done and done really well. And it's the same when you look at the the, the contractors, when you look at uh, marketing, you know, I've worked with Tembo for, for years and years. Kate Disley's got a fantastic team there, you know, venture business. Um, live buzz I've mentioned, you know, the guys at Aztec, you know, when you look at this, you know, from an AV point of view, we were talking earlier about innovation. Wow, you want to see what they've done. They've been busy whilst they haven't been building trade shows and running theatres. Wowee. 
you know, Exhibit 360 and Beechwood are going to build the shows for me. My point with all of this is that actually, whether you choose to employ or whether you choose to co choose to contract, my belief, whether it was Western Business Exhibitions or now as what else, is unchanged. Treat them just the same. You know, treat them as your team. Because actually, when you get on site, that's what your customer sees. That's the actual delivery. And, and if those people understand exactly what we're trying to do, we communicate well, treat them as part of the team, respect them, pay them on time, key point. You know, if we do all of those things, then what we get is a really positive environment live at the show. And then the most important person is looked after, and that's the client, the exhibitor. And they're looked after really, really well. And as Martin said, you know, the speed at which, and we can't all afford to take two or three build days on a show. It isn't always doable. But the speed at which these guys work together anyway, pre-pandemic, just beggars belief. It's amazing that you bring a show together in 12 hours or 24 hours. But it always happens. It always comes together. It's a fabulous process. But do you know what? You know, you've got to have the right values. Sure. You know, honesty, integrity, gratitude. And if you have those, you know, you want those to shine through. And if you treat your suppliers in the right way, you know, it's the first thing I did in building What Else this time around. We built the chain of, of, of supply. We built the, the relationship with the venues, built the relationship with all the suppliers first before they've even done any work. You know, 10 years ago when I'm launching a show, I'd have thought about the first sale, the logo for the show. This time I did yeah. it differently because I know the supply chain has suffered really deep pain and cuts and yeah. I wanted to secure the best people. So look, rather you know, grateful for being given the opportunity to do that, but I would urge every organiser to remember that as we rebuild, we do so and we will be leaning quite heavily um, on our supply chain but treat them well you know look after them pay them on time uh, soapbox mode soapbox <laughs> mode over thank you Walter. i'm going to come back to you in a minute about assets uh, obviously the ESSA update from yesterday but justin um data um obviously you're within the you know registration space yeah so a lot of the data sort of goes through your systems, if you like. Um, and there was an announcement this week of VCEF. So, um, you know, normalizing how data is extracted because there's been lots of different data sets coming out of all these different virtual platforms. Um, what's your view on sort of virtual and registration and, and data and what clients are, are telling you about, you know, their, their concerns about where this data is ending up and who owns it and how they, you know, implement it into systems? Yeah, it's, it's, it's always a... A really really hot topic always has been the last 15 15 years and um, gdpr popped up two three years ago you know, as a business we spent hundreds of thousands of pounds on that in-house gdpr specialists and so on and so forth yeah adds an extra layer of unseen cost and and requirement for us as a supplier that the client doesn't always fully appreciate it doesn't magically happen all this stuff um i remember sitting down with a group of um my competitors it might have been Connected with ESSA back in the day, I think Matty Coyne was there from what was N200 and, and a few of the others talking about can we have a common data agreement? Can we share data anonymously to get insight and understanding? Um, and, it ne and I think Yayo had a, uh, a push at that years back. It's never really happened. There's never been there's never been an agreement and they're coming together. Oftentimes they're there's an ulterior motive for someone wanting to do it in the background. It's not always it's yeah. you know, it might drive a new a new tool or a new service. Someone might want it for a reason. Equally, data, as we all know, is the lifeblood for organisers. After cash, it's it's the most important thing, and they hold very true to their 
their data in these trade events and that they're very, 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 very nervous about showing it in any way, shape or form. But clearly throwing this new virtual layer into the mix, um, it's, it, it, there, there has to be a, a point where all this data is protected and someone take ownership for it. So it all kind of makes sense and the thinking is the right thinking. Um, so yeah. Having, having, a, having a, a standard, I guess, Tim, just coming back to you briefly, having a standard for for data extraction, you know, um, can only be of benefit. I know you've got a view on generally engagement um, within virtual and registrations. And I think generally we accept that registrations for various events are sort of possibly going down rather than up. But what, do you have a view on on sort of v, on VCF, which has obviously been uh, an exploratory project, and and the sort of normalisation of data? Well, look, there's you know, having only found out about this recently yeah. and read read the information, you know, the founding founding partners, the founding group behind that, you know, it's very impressive. Um, I, I like the idea that it's, I, I believe it's a not-for-profit um, process. Well, fantastic. Yeah. You know, what would I say on this? I think from a, coming from a B2B publishing and then events background, you know, Justin's spot on in both environments, data after cash, data is absolutely key and you guard it jealously. Of course you do. Uh, and you work on it really hard. It's an expensive asset to build. Um, Anything that can make that easier, yeah, I like the sound of it. Um, the devil will be in the detail, of course. Um, uh, but to the to the general point about, um, you know, virtual. Uh, obviously, they're providing a service here in terms of trying to standardise virtual data. Yeah. Well, standardising data generally is good if you can get consistent reporting. That's good. You know, when I was a publisher, I believed wholeheartedly that every title we launched would be ABC audited as soon as possible. For example, sure. sort of part of the same point. Um, the question, I suppose, and, um, you know, as I said earlier, the, the expansion and the growth of virtual platforms is very impressive. I do have a, a fundamental question about how you how you prove and how you improve um, engagement, actual engagement. You know, it's never going to be the same as when you've committed to come to a trade show. You've given up the whole day. That conversation is you completely committed with that exhibitor it's you completely listening and concentrating in that theater is that true in a virtual environment i, I doubt it um, but if there's a way of technically proving it so that those media owners can add real value for sponsors well, good more power to them um, but, Fantastic. Um, beyond that justin's the tech man here not me so. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um martin because we're 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 coming to the end i, I don't i don't want to let you go without talking about um the changes changes that ESSA are announcing um and obviously had i think the egm rather than the agm, yeah, AGM. Yeah. um it'd be great if you just bring you know for the audience uh, who are listening um or watching yeah. bring that to life and um, actually what because again that's a new beginning right so firstly again why the need for for change and then what's going to happen in the future yeah, delighted to elaborate. So yes, no, yesterday did mark a quite historic day for us in our 13 straight 14 year history. Uh, we had an EGM, which was to change the uh, memorandum article, so it's a member's vote, to fundamentally change the membership structure. So I think what we've recognised, I mean, Esther, in my opinion, over the last 12 months has really come to its fore. The, the value that I feel and I've heard our members tell me that they've got from Esther during this, this lockdown and pandemic period has been massive. And we know, as you know, Tim's, Tim mentioned, with respect that we've been decimated as a, as a sector of the industry, the contracting community has been very hardly hit. I mean, we're talking about literally revenue streams completely being severed, not a penny coming through, unable to pivot. 
um, to mothball the companies. We've seen lots of contractors disappear. We've seen some very familiar names either decrease, splinter, and yeah, new beginnings and new shoots. And I think it became apparent to us as an association, and this was before COVID, that there are large waves within our industry, lots of contractors that are unrepresented. There's lots of people feeding into the supply chain. Um, on a floor covering point of view, for example, Dan, if, you know, if I look at the guys that come through and install the carpet day after day, week after week, they'll contract to various different players that we'll all know of, but they're unrepresented. Yeah, and they're unrepresented in terms of, of protection, of value, of, of payment terms. There's no one for their, nowhere for them to go to. So going back to Fester, the structure of membership has always been one, bro, uh, one, one membership, one price, one vote per company. So that's irrespective of size. We're talking the big multi-million uh, international companies down to the small one-man band outfits. Now, to move forward as an association, our strength is always going to be in our members, the number of our members. And the more that we can represent that show floor as ESSA members, the more that we can help drive standards, control standards, and ensure that we're actually delivering uh, better quality events, you know, built to a better standard in the health and safety environment, sustainability. There's lots of other massive important sure. things. So the ETM was called to look at diversifying that, and the uh, the board had worked very hard over the last few months in how we could split this and split this amicably, sensibly, so that it satisfies all players. And we've come up with a tier structure of three different membership tiers. So we have full, which is the one we've always had, an associate membership in the middle, which very much satisfies members that want to become SM members, see a value, a certain value in what they can have, but probably a slightly more passive membership. And then an individual membership, which really serves the, the one-man bands out there, the one-person uh, companies. And if you look through all sections of services and, and different contracting areas that we that our, our members supply, you will find many one-person outfits out there, uh, many companies that want to feel part of a team, want representation, want somebody that they can lean on to in terms of health and safety, or maybe it's a social aspect. So by changing it, we firmly believe as a board that we can really increase the, the, the number of our members, which in, you know, in return is going to increase the size of our voice. Um, we already have a seat to you know, the biggest tables, but it just in, it increases that voice that we have as representation. And I think I want to get to the point where you could walk onto any show floor in the UK, and I want to see contractors that are all represented by ESSA. So that we're, we're talking about an, an ESSA membership that organisers really can see the benefit of actually using, as opposed to non-ESSA members. We want to convince all the non-ESSA members out there to jump in and come on board. The change in that membership um, structure, yeah, it's, it's a seismic shift. It's it's the biggest thing I've I've known of since I've been a director of this. It's something that we've deliberated on for years. I think yeah. it comes around every year at some point. <laughs> There's been a massive presence of us doing it. I think we've always been scared of upsetting the current membership. I mean, I I would say that there's a massive uh, there was a massive size of uh, of um, of members voted for it, ninety two percent, which is huge, which is fantastic. I am concerned on the small percentage of people that weren't up for it. I'd like to learn from them of what their concerns were. But in general, we're trying to reach out to the contracting community and say, come and talk to us. Come and talk to us. So come and see what it is that we can offer. Come and see what it is that we can deliver. Um, and together we are stronger. I mean, that's the mantra. Um, yeah. But no ever has, no ever has it been so, so true and so important. It's probably where we are now. Thank you. I thought that was really, really interesting because obviously that's very sort of uh, – that was only yesterday, right? So um... – it's it's good to sort of bring new and updated news to everybody. Listen, guys, we're almost out of time. Um, obviously, we've touched upon a lot of topics, so we didn't sort of deep dive into them. But I think I'm hoping that the good few people that are watching live and on demand will will find that interesting. Um, I just want to do a quick round robin. Um, Justin, what yeah. event are you most looking forward to attending? So not not just necessarily 
industry, but an event that you haven't managed to go to in the last uh, for many months. Uh, <laughs> personally, I always love reads what what was IBTM um, in Barcelona. Um, you know, I just really enjoy yep. that. Nice time of year. It's one, one of my favourites. I always love going to that event. But the first paying show <laughs> will be the one I enjoy the most. Yeah, the first on-site paying show. We've got we've got over thirty in September, over thirty in October. It's going to be mentally busy. Fantastic. Uh, so I'm going to enjoy all of them, particularly if they're if, if um, we're getting paid to do them. <laughs> and Tim, well, maybe even from a personal uh, perspective, it doesn't have to be professional, mate. You know what? Well, what I was going to say that that's um, well for me. I, most people don't know this, but I used to ride horses for a living. And, you know, outdoor events have been affected. Sporting events have been affected enormously. We all know that. But I want to see the horse trial scene get back up and running. Um, big events internationally have been cancelled left, right and centre because they can't afford to run without paying attendance. Sure. Um, and some of these get two or 250,000 people coming through the doors over a few days. So that will be later this year. We'll get back to that. And in the meantime, I must just, you know, mash media. What a job they've done to support the industry. Fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. Martin Fullard needs a, needs a medal, I think. And um, I'll be at the event production show at Farnborough. I'll be at Confex. Yes, yes, I hope you all will be as well. Yeah. Thank you. And Martin, final word? Oh, I like what Tim's just said. Yeah, yeah. Big up to Ash and, and their events that are coming up and the best wishes for the success in those. But yeah, no, for me, if I could get to the Belgian Grand Prix, Bank Holiday Weekend at the end of August, I'll love it. <laughs> I missed that last year massively. That was great fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, gentlemen, Justin Craig, Martin Cairns, Tim Else, we wish you very best for the future with your new and existing endeavours and uh, I'll hopefully personally get to meet you at some point <laughs> in the not too distant future. So I'm going to pop you back in the green room. We'll have a quick chat, but thank you so much guys for your, your time and your insights today. Thank you. Brilliant. So um, hope you enjoyed that guys. Really good. Obviously we, we covered a lot, but it's clear there's a lot of positivity and optimism out there new launches, new businesses, um, and lots of new initiatives going on with some traditional uh, associations. So thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your Friday. Have a great weekend. I'm back next Wednesday at one o'clock. Please check out danassaw.com. Um, thank you very much for watching and have a good Friday. <laughs>